0: please welcome Dr. Mel Winstead. Not, not to be confused with Randy Travis,
1: I know what you were thinking. I'm here. Okay, yes we do live in Marshville and uh, for the 20, last 25 or 30 years, however long Randy Travis has been singing. It's every week of my life, sometimes multiple times a week people come up no matter where i am do you know that you look like and i've just started finishing it for them, randy travis <laughs> have you ever been told that before no no I, you know you feel like and i actually told somebody that recently and somebody walked right up and said hey do you know you know and uh He was actually in Marshville. We went, uh, a couple weeks ago, we went for an event downtown, a little street fair, and he had been there a couple hours earlier, so I missed getting to meet him. Of course, Randy Travis is in a wheelchair now, you know, and he can't talk because of the stroke, so he's not talking or singing. Um, I think, basically, he's probably reminiscing, digging up old bones or something, (laughs) I don't, oh well. If you missed, uh, I do appreciate Jeremy Varner and uh, so many of uh, you folks that I've uh, grown to love. We've been here. Jeremy started this uh, eight or nine years ago. It was me and Barry McKenzie and Bob Pastor Bob Friedas and, uh, and a- every year Jeremy's built this up till we had eight or ten uh, speakers doing different topics on Sunday and, and now he started downhill slalom. It's back down <laughs> to just one guy now and um but I've uh, grown to know and love some of you, and Holton Harrison back there, um, he actually used to live or do business in uh, the town I grew up in, in Rocky Mount, so I knew his name uh, from way back when I was a kid, and uh, some of the rest of you I've gotten to know now, uh, Miss Abbott and uh, her son, uh, Mike and Donna, and, and uh, Mr. Gentry back there, just one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet, and I enjoy speaking to him every time, and... Uh, Good music here. I was a little disappointed you didn't have the, what is it, Covered by Calvary Quartet out here doing my song down here, guys. So hint, hint, next time, um, Through the Fire, right? Y'all did that a few years ago, and that was good stuff. So, well, if you missed the the first uh, session, the Sunday school hour this morning, uh, I talked about apologetics. Apologetics is really uh, defending uh, the faith. Um, defending the faith. Uh, And actually, I said that uh, apologetics... Now, some of you, uh, you know, you're scared of this word. It sounds fancy. It sounds strange. It's actually from a word in the Greek of the New Testament, apologia. It's in 1 Peter Um, 3.15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Okay, there's your command. Set Christ apart as your Lord. And uh, then always be prepared to give a defense of the reason for the hope that lies within you. Always be prepared to give a defense of your belief in Jesus. Okay, and usually, well, you know, this is what my preacher said. You know, that's not going to be enough for most people that you tell them about Jesus, okay? But I want you to remember two critical things about that uh, selection uh, of Scripture and uh, I want you to remember two things about that selection of Scripture. 1 Peter 3.15 is where we are told to defend the faith, the hope that is within you, the risen Christ who's forgiven your sins and changed your life. And uh, that is this. It says um, to always be prepared. This is why Pastor Jeremy puts on this conference every year to equip you men and women to motivate you to get yourself prepared to answer your co-workers and, you know, the family around the Thanksgiving table, you know, when things get a little heated and stuff because some of your family members aren't saved and uh, discussions get heated and they'll say, what about this and what about that? You need to be prepared. And so Pastor Jeremy puts on this conference year after year after year and he stands up here week after week after week to equip you. Guess what? Ephesians 4 starting about in verse 8 and down through verse 12 it says that the risen lord jesus christ gave a couple of gifts to his church and one of those is your pastor teacher and his purpose is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so his job is to equip you so you need to be sure you get equipped to give a reasoned and gentle defense of the christian faith and that's the second part out of first timothy 3 first peter 315 it's the last phrase in that verse and uh, again as I said in the opening uh, 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 service I better open my Bible so they won't say well Dr. Winstead preached and never even opened his Bible 1 <laughs> Peter three fifteen. but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence yet with gentleness and reverence So apologetics, then, is a reasoned and gentle defense of the Bible. Now, if you were in here at the earlier hour, I gave you some tools, uh, the 12 truths or 12 points that show Christianity is true. You can uh, find those 12 points in this book titled I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, written by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I highly recommend it. You need to get hold of it and uh, soak it in. Also, They have this acrostic surge, S-U-R-G-E, that we went through where they demonstrate from science, primarily astronomy, uh, that uh, the universe had a a beginning and uh, and, um, that God exists. Another tool I gave you was from uh, Frank Turek, six E's to demonstrate how we know the New Testament is true and trustworthy. Early testimony, most New Testament books were written before 70 A.D. We walked through that. Eyewitness testimony embarrassing testimony, excruciating testimony, expected testimony, extra biblical testimony. And then uh, we went through um, at Southern Evangelical Seminary, you can go to ses.edu after we're done today, not right now. And uh, Jeremy, you really need to put a big mirror on the back wall so you can look over their shoulders if they're surfing the web on their phone while while you're preaching. Because that is uh, an abomination. That's found in uh, 2 Hezekiah chapter 10. I promise you it's there. 2nd Hezekiah chapter 10. Some of you will get that later. Like this one, just laugh. No, I'm just... um, uh, On the website ses.edu, you can can find the book. It's called the SES book. And we have this uh, acrostic uh, facts, F-A-C-T-S, that um, demonstrate the uh, uh, truthfulness of the resurrection of Christ. The F was for fatal cross the A for abandoned tomb, the C for the conversion of the disciples, the T for the transformation of James, the half-brother of Jesus, and S for Saul who uh, became Paul. So uh, after that, though, we're in the middle of the 12 points that I mentioned. You have this issue of the of, uh, reliability of the New Testament. And uh, so I kind of want to uh, uh, spend time within that realm this morning, the New Testament, and actually... I've titled this uh, session, Apologetics from the Bible. Okay, let, Let's look at how the, Jesus and the apostles defended the faith. How did they reach out to other people? How did they answer skeptics' questions? How did they evangelize? How did they go on the offense and say, here is uh, the truths of Scripture and why, they, why they're true and what was their source? Okay, And that type of thing. So Apologetics from uh, the Bible. So, uh, now for those of you who are wondering, that little word is a French word. It means two, part two, okay? Um, apologetics uh, from the Bible. Apologetics can expose uh, the dishonest uh, questions and can build up the faith of unbelievers. Now, listen carefully. This is a, two, a, a, a double-edged sword. It cuts two ways here. There are two purposes, primary purposes for getting yourself prepared to defend Christianity. And a lot of you are sitting out there thinking, I don't need to defend Christianity. You know, it's like Spurgeon said, uh, the Bible uh, and the truth of God is like a a, lion, a caged lion. You let him out of his cage, he'll take care of himself. The Bible will do that, right? It is a sword that cuts... Uh, deep into the person, uh, between the thoughts and the marrow, and as a critic and a discerner of the thoughts in the heart, and uh, people have have to hear the word to get saved. Uh, uh, That is all true. That is definitely true. But when we reach out to other people out of compassion for the lostness of our culture, instead of preaching and pounding the pulpit and moaning and groaning and bemoaning the fact that our culture is going down the tubes morally and ethically and everything else. Let's reach out to people, okay? Expose the dishonest question because you, when you come to somebody and try to talk to them about Jesus or the Bible, you're going to get immediate pushback a lot of times. You're going to get pushback. What do I do with that pushback? Okay, how can I deal with that? Well, the tools I gave you in the earlier uh, Sunday school, uh, there were several of them. That's a good place to start. But also apologetics can build up the faith of believers, right? To encourage you uh, that, hey, I'm actually believing the right thing here. And trust me, no matter what I say from here going forward, well, I think I'm going to demonstrate to you very solidly this morning that I believe what is written in this book, the 66 books of the Protestant canon. As a matter of fact, men and women, it's worse than that. I am staking my eternal destiny on the truths of this book. Okay? And uh, hopefully you are, but you better know it's true and right, right? And that's what apologetics does. So it encourages the saints as well. So never forget that that is a part of it. Now, uh, in uh, apologetics from the Bible, when we get into the Bible, New Testament specifically, we find fulfilled prophecies. Uh, we could talk about the reliability of the Scripture, uh, the historical Jesus archaeology, but I want to deal with the text and the content, the message in the Bible this morning. And and apologetics or defending the Bible uh, or the Christian faith involves the following elements we're going to see in the text of Scripture. It is the fact that the resurrection was always the conclusion. Of the message the conclusion of the defense when the defense rested Jesus or the Apostles when they rested their defense they ended with this note about the resurrected Jesus and therefore friends if you talk to people about Christianity and try to reach out to them with the gospel and you don't include the resurrection of Jesus, you have given them a truncated message. It's not the whole story, right? You've got to go Paul Harvey on people. Give them the rest of the story. And that is the resurrection. This is what the apostles did, and we're going to look at that in the book of Acts primarily this morning, Lord willing. Also, repentance and faith in Jesus is another uh, sort of those two elements are in tandem and also the fact of the historical Jesus, the fact that Jesus really was and is. I already went through discussing Bill Maher and his comments this morning, and I think that has been uh, refuted soundly because he really obviously hasn't read any historical research on Jesus. If he can say, I don't think Jesus ever existed. The more I read, the more I don't think Jesus ever existed. And I'm like, You haven't read much because if you read in the realm of history, uh, by anybody's accounting, Jesus of Nazareth uh, existed, okay? That's a a minimal fact. That's a minimal fact. And uh, also, what I want to do first of all here is give you some terms uh, before we get into the text of Scripture because we'll use these throughout and they'll set the stage for you. Now, I'm just going to give them to you in English because you probably haven't had uh, Greek. But when I teach a Greek class, I give these to the students. Well, when I teach New Testament, I give them the Greek as well because they're usually probably taking Greek classes. But let's give it to you in English from the New American Standard. And here they are. Let me just read the selection for you. Acts 17.2 According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them From the scripture okay and so there are several um, word uh, terms here Uh, well I'll get to that in a minute you have these words explaining giving evidence uh, trying to persuade uh, reasoning debate argue argue heatedly and opposing arguments and so when you come to the New Testament Sometimes if you'll be very observant, you will observe these kinds of things uh, in your uh, your Bible. Acts 17.3, they were explaining and giving evidence. Now your King James says they were opening and alleging. okay. And uh, then in Acts 28.23, they were explaining and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. Now here here is where I'm going to make a turn and, and start getting to the point Of what I want to share with you this morning they were explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets and they did this from morning to evening remember my topic this morning is apologetics from the Bible how did the early apologists the Apostles do this they reason from the scripture they uh, tried to persuade them from the law of Moses and the prophets. Uh, Acts 19, I'm sorry, Acts 19.8. Uh, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Uh, Acts 15, 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, "Brothers, uh, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel uh, and believe. And then you have this word, uh, trying to persuade, reasoning, debating, arguing. After there had been much debate, the Pharisees came out and began to argue. And uh, another word, uh, argue heatedly and uh, then the noun form here of uh, opposing arguments. So these are the kinds of words that you'll find in your New Testament that demonstrate that Jesus and the apostles were actually debating people. They were actually having the conversation. Have the conversation. You say, well, I just can't answer everybody's questions. Well, I can either, but it doesn't keep me from trying to tell people about Jesus. Okay, And you'll see several times in the book of Acts, that the apostles usually got two or three different responses as well. The great apostle Paul with that magnificent speech there in the middle of the hotbed of Athenian philosophy in Acts 17 in Greece, after he so eloquently explained to them the existence of God and funneled that down to a microscopic laser, he focused in on the resurrection and repentance because God has appointed a man through whom he's going to judge one day and furnished proof by raising him from the dead, right? After all that beautiful, eloquent gospel presentation there, some sneered and said, man, this resurrection stuff, you know, this doesn't make sense to our philosophical training. You know, get out of here. This is weird. Some said, this is interesting. We'll come back next week same bat time same bat place and hear you again i added the bat word in there just so you'll know it wasn't greek or anything okay and then there was a third response some believed among whom were dionysius the europa guy, and uh, damaris and some others with them some believed. so don't worry that you don't have all the answers you think your co-workers are going to Uh, give uh, to you, okay? Go find some answers. Pastor Jeremy can help you, but you've got to have the conversation. Don't be afraid to explain, to try to persuade, to reason, to uh, give evidence, to debate, to dispute. Friends don't let friends hold to bad theology, okay? So if you have Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses in your family or work, and they actually are going to be forthright about their uh, religion and say things about Jesus and the Bible that aren't true, why would you let them hold to that? Right? Love wants to bring them out into the light of the gospel of Christ and the truth, right? And then, um, and so Acts seventeen two, uh, you have this phrase, uh, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, from the scriptures. Acts 17, 17, he was reasoning in the synagogue. Uh, Acts 18, 4, he was reasoning and trying to persuade. Okay, he was. He was reasoning and trying to persuade. We lost uh, something here. Reasoning and trying to persuade. Not only that, he was... uh, He entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, next verse uh, puts the two together again, as I've said. He reasoned and tried to persuade them about the kingdom of God. And finally, he was reasoning daily in the school of uh, Tyrannus, Paul was. Okay, so uh, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and Rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So there uh, is a clear example of the apostles defending the faith, sharing the gospel by mentioning Jesus, by arguing about Jesus, by coming from the Bible and actually bringing the conversation around to Jesus. He was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Okay, he's reasoning from the Bible. He is using using the Bible. He is using the Bible. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up uh, and said to them, okay, so uh, he, he didn't shy away from the debates. They are there. The Pharisees came out and began to argue from him. And then uh, Timothy, uh, Paul mentioned to Timothy these opposing arguments. So I'm going to go to uh, Acts 2 for just a moment. We're going to look at Acts uh, 2, Acts 8 and Acts uh, 17 and then a, a selection from Jesus. We'll try to do this in a timely fashion. Now, in Acts 22, and I'm not going to exegete this passage of Scripture, we're going to look more at Acts chapter 8. As a matter of fact, just to help you all out, because the pages in the Bible are really heavy, and they'll give you carpal tunnel if you try to turn one or two, so I know it's a chore. So let me save you some work. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8, okay? Or some of you can tap, right? How many of you are tapping to Acts chapter 8? Three, just three of you? Okay, tap to Acts chapter 8 and just listen for the Acts chapter 2 selection, okay? My comment a minute ago was not meant in a pejorative sense. It's just that, you know, I try to tell people in churches, uh, you know, turn to, or, you know, open your Bible. I'll even be explicit about it and all, I still hear silence. You know, I feel like saying, now I know all of you ancient old people aren't just tapping on your phone and I just ain't hearing it. Turn those pages, Okay. The apostles used the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament as evidences that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies. And so in Acts 2, uh, if you were there, uh, let me just, I will mention, I'm not going to exegete the passage here in this particular uh, section, but in Acts 2, 22, Peter is preaching, Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with the miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him. God raised him up again. And then he goes on to quote King David or quote the Psalms out of Psalm 16 and he makes a point to use the issue of Psalm 16, especially verse 10, to uh, talk about the resurrection of Christ. He says, uh, uh, he quotes uh, King David, Psalm 16, You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And Peter goes on to explain, reasoning, that hey, David wasn't talking about himself because his tomb's over there on 3rd Street in Jerusalem. They actually revered King David's tomb, you know. who's was their their revered shepherd king that they loved, the great psalmist. David wasn't talking about himself when he says, your anointed one will not undergo decay because David's tomb is with us. You see, he's reasoning. Let's just think about this. Let's let's be sensible. And so he goes on to explain that King David was actually writing an inspired messianic passage that referred to Jesus the Nazarene. He is the one who would not undergo decay because his body was only in the grave three days. Right? I understand the body... Begins an accelerated rapid uh, decomposition on day four after rigor mortis. By the way, if that's the case, isn't really cool that in John chapter 11, how long had Lazarus been dead? Four days. And Jesus gives him life again. He calls him back. Lazarus! Come on out of there. He gave him life again, Right? Raising Lazarus from the dead was one of Jesus' capstone miracles, actually, in the Gospel of John. Matter of fact, after that miracle, till you get to the resurrection, uh, the rest of John from John 12 on is just all the one last week in Jesus' ministry, by the way. So, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, but he's reasoned from the scripture. And then he goes on to mention Psalm 110 as well about the ascension of uh, the Savior, the Messiah. In Acts chapter 3, 11 uh, and following, he preaches again and he s- talks about that uh, what God had uh, uh, claimed uh, through the mouth of all the prophets. All the prophets. All the prophets are, were and are about Christ. Um, the entire Bible... Is about Christ. We're going to get to Luke 24 in a few moments. Wow. Amazing. In Acts 4, Acts 4 verse 8 is the rejection of Jesus. Acts 4 verse 8. The apostles are preaching again. Uh, Acts 4 verse 8. And he's quoting the Old Testament to demonstrate out of Psalm 118 that the very uh, guys, uh, rejection, the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus was prophesied in the Psalms. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He is using his Bible and he's reasoning from the Bible. And so, so perhaps, friends, my, my, my main point, if I was going to make it as simple as, as I could possibly make it this morning, it is to bring your Bible into the conversation that you have with people. Quote Scripture. Give them God's Word. The conversation has to come around to that eventually. Right? They have to hear the Word of God. Faith comes through hearing. And hearing through the Word of God. You have to get there. Acts chapter 7, you read it. The first Christian martyr was Stephen. He did the exact same thing. He quoted Old Testament to demonstrate, to talk about and reason about Christ, Jesus Christ. Friends, the bottom line here is they used the Bible. They used the Bible. Now, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I love this story. Uh, Philip the evangelist had just been by, used by God to perform a miracle and then the Spirit led him up uh, to go on this chariot road that was headed south to... If you think geographically with me, he's headed south to the continent of Africa because in this chariot is, uh, is riding a dignitary. Acts 8:27, he works for the administrative cabinet of Queen Candace of Ethiopia, which is down the east side of Africa, right? Ethiopia. He's a God-fearing Gentile. He's been up uh, for Passover. Uh, he has been up uh, for the festivities. He took some PTO. Candace let him go off to uh, go north to Jerusalem for, for this festival. And being a God-fearing Gentile, He had saved up all his uh, shekels or whatever their currency was in Ethiopia and he bought himself a souvenir. Now this is my ad hoc scenario in between the lines, okay? He bought himself a souvenir in Jerusalem, a scroll of Isaiah the prophet. The text of scripture says he was reading this selection. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, He was taken away. You go on and read the selection there that, uh, uh, that uh, he is reading. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch said, asked Philip, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Right? Because Philip said, hey man, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, not unless somebody interprets it for me. Do you know who he's talking about? And verse 35, then Philip did what, class? Verse 25, then Philip opened his mouth. You've got to have the conversation. Okay? He opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The New Testament men and women interpreted the Old Testament prophets by a method we call direct fulfillment of prophecies. Uh, and one of the great best uh, books I've read on this lately, um, I think it was published in 2010, it's titled The Messianic Hope uh, by the guy's last name is Rydelnik, R Y D E L N I K, Michael Rydelnik, The Messianic Hope. Direct fulfillment of prophecy. The writers of the New Testament, the apostles, the early believers in Jesus, understood the messianic point of the prophets. They actually were following Jesus's. Uh, hermeneutical methods because most uh, New Testament scholars today, they'll line out seven or eight uh, uh, Jewish rabbinical exegetical methods that the New Testament apostles used uh, when using the Old Testament. But Rydelnik says, you know, you can take what you can out of that list, but actually they were using Jesus's hermeneutical method, a direct fulfillment of prophecy. Direct fulfillment. The Old Testament is all about Christ. So how might Philip, though, because you'd have to... It doesn't spell it out here except he preached Jesus to him. But how might he have done that? Well, he would have talked about probably the servant. Uh, This was called the Servant Song. The mystery of the servant uh, is mentioned uh, if you were to go to Isaiah 50. uh, It starts in the end of Isaiah 52. And goes uh, through all uh, 12 verses of Isaiah 53. And uh, he talks about the mystery of the servant. And then the rejection of the servant. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. A man of sorrows. Right? Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Do you all know this old hymn? And you can always tell when you listen to a Christian song uh, just how deeply the songwriter has drank at the well of Scripture. Man of sorrows. What a name. What a name, right? For the Savior. But the pro- uh, Isaiah prophesied this. Several hundred years before Christ is born. I've actually read where liberal liberal theologians uh, will uh, poo-poo the prophecy and they'll say, these conservative people, they say Isaiah was written, you know, 600 B.C. And they try to go through some arguments to demonstrate it was really written in 200 B.C. Okay, well it's still 200 years before Christ. What does that matter? But actually, uh, most uh, archaeologists and Old Testament scholars today uh, uh, have, have come to realize through uh, the uncovery of archaeological discoveries that talk about uh, Shalmaneser and the other Syrian uh, kings and Babylonian kings and the dates during which they reigned and the mentions of the events. Uh, you find in the Old Testament that the prophets were written uh, in the years that traditionally has been uh, assumed uh, for them. So... No worries. I already Did I already quote the slogan verse in the front of, front of the New American Standard Bible? It's Isaiah 40, verse 8. The Apostle Peter picks this up over in 1 Peter 1, down around about verse 24 and 25. It says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever, forever. Civilizations come and go, but God's Word is still the truth. It's still intact. It stands uh, forever. By the way, uh, I think Isaiah was Peter's favorite Bible book of the Bible because he quotes so many of the uh, uh, concepts in there. The lamb, the blood, the sacrifice, the unblemished uh, lamb, and, and these uh, kinds of things. So Philip probably explained the rejection of the servant. He explained the atonement of the servant. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has called. Listen, I have read and listened to a Pentecostal interpreters of the bible who you know say uh, you know these people on uh tbn those preachers on there i hope you don't watch that garbage Ninety-nine uh, percent of them are false prophets yeah i said it it's true and they'll say oh jesus came to heal come on down and get healed because jesus died so that you would be healed physically and they they love quoting this by his wounds we're healed We have something in interpretation called context. Right, Pastor? Listen to the context. What kind of healing? What kind of healing? By His scourging we are healed. Well, keep reading. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has called the iniquity of us all. Okay? The iniquity. Back in verse 5, He was pierced through for our transgressions. It is a spiritual healing from sin. It's not a physical healing that He promises to everybody. The atonement of the servant. Look at that. He was pierced. He was pierced. By what? By the nails. Zechariah 12 prophesies a time in the future, dear friends, where your Jewish neighbors will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him like one mourns over the death of an only son. Prophecy, prophecy. He was crushed. By what? By the spear, the slap, the thorns, the spiritual oppression. Have you ever thought about the thorns on Jesus' head? The spear wasn't the first time and the nail through the hands wasn't the first time he began to bleed for us. What about that crown of pyracantha-like thorns? Y'all got a pyracantha in your yard or maybe your grandma had one in the yard? Raise your hand if you know what a pyracantha is. It's a bush with some very long thorns on it. And they put this thorn at, it. But listen, I was actually reading uh, in the garden, uh, reading the garden of Gethsemane account in John 18 one time. Jesus actually started bleeding even before that. He was praying for you and me and about what he was about to do for the sins of the world, and his sweat dropped like uh, drops of blood on the ground. The capillaries in his veins burst under the tremendous pressure. Contusions, he was crushed by lacerations, penetrating wounds, the crown of thorns, the perforating wounds, the incised wounds, the spear. Ephesians 2.14 says He is our peace and that He might bring us to God. And so by His wounds we are healed. And God accepts our substitute. You say, I thought I was going to get apologetics here this morning. Folks, what Isaiah 53 talks about is the good news of the substitutionary death of Jesus, your friends need to hear it. And some of them may say, you are one old-fashioned somebody. You're an old-fashioned person. And that's where you can just say, I might be, but ask yourself tonight when you get home and lay your head on the pillow, is it true? You can ask that one question can't you friends Wow Holy Spirit of God can do wonders with that when they tell you you're thinking old-fashioned stuff just say probably so but is it true and just just be done with it. you can go on and talk about you know the Dallas Cowboys uh, how badly they lost to Denver last week what whatever ask the question Plant the seed, plant the seed, plant the seed. And then he probably went on to explain about the uh, the submission of the servant, the substitutionary atonement. Well, you guys can look at this, but look. What did Philip do? He used the Bible. He did. He did. Later in Acts, in Acts 23, 6, Uh, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead, the Apostle Paul. Acts uh, 24-21, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Uh, Why is it considered incredible, Acts uh, uh, 26-8, if God does raise the dead? Acts 28-23, He expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God and He tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law and the law. And the prophets, the apostles, used the Bible. Now I want you to turn to Acts 17. Uh, Perhaps I should have saved more time for this uh, passage and I might have shared it here uh, with you folks before. You've probably heard it before. Pastor Jeremy's probably uh, uh, dealt with it. Acts 17. Now a little background there. I want you to consider if you're taking notes, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Just listen. 2 corinthians 10 for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses the ideological fortresses people have the walls the smoke screens people have up around themselves and he says uh he says we are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of god and we're taking everything captive to the obedience of christ what are some of these speculations We're going to read about these in Acts 17. When they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. And Paul went in there and reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to rise from the dead. This Jesus that I'm preaching to you, proclaiming, is the Christ. Okay, So Paul's apologetic at Thessalonica was to reason from the Scripture and talk about uh, Christ. And his resurrection. Then he went to Berea. Verse ten. Verse ten. Uh, the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and they went in there and uh, talked to them. Exam- and the people here examined the scriptures daily. Okay. And the Jews came from the other town to stir up trouble, and so uh, they left. Uh, they sent Paul away. In verse sixteen, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked because he was observing the city full of idols. And then uh, verse 21 gives you a little background. The Athenians like to uh, go on and on about philosophy and stuff. Um, I guess on the weekends or something, you know, their pastime. And so Paul gets his turn at the uh, podium. uh, And in verse 22, he stood up in the midst and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're uh, very religious because I noticed, uh, you know, uh, all these uh, tombs out here, these monuments. They had a lot of monuments planted around town there, literally and seriously. But one of them even said, to an unknown god, in case we missed one. I mean, to me, that lets you know that pantheism and polytheism, they aren't really sure anyway. Just in case, you know, there's that little bit of doubt in there, we're scared we're going to miss one of the gods. And he says, I'm going to proclaim this god to you. With some of the speculations they were holding to, we infer from from what he uh, preaches to them is that uh, God does not exist. Uh, Jesus was not real or he was just a prophet. Suffering exists, therefore God cannot exist. There's actually arguments out there by William Lane Craig uh, and his website and other Christian apologists and Christian philosophers that demonstrate that suffering actually is an argument for the existence of god evil is an argument for the existence of god they're really borrowing from c.s lewis you know the writer of the chronicles of narnia he wrote some really serious christian stuff like mere christianity and so forth weight of glory and other things A uh, hope hope deferred or something i can't remember the name. and he said that uh, he said that uh, how can i call A crooked line in the sand crooked if I don't have a standard of a straight line by which to to measure it how can I even use the adjective and say that's crooked unless I know what straight is so how can you call evil in your world evil unless you know what good is and see good comes from the Creator God and the laws of the universe that he's put into place so evil is, uh, but, but the argument from evil is one of these speculations that people are going to throw up. Uh, hey, I've had them throw that up to me. I had an 88-year-old man. I witnessed to him for about four years in his home. Uh, he died without Christ uh, earlier this year, unfortunately, uh, as far as I know. Uh, but this was the smoke screen he threw up every time we had a conversation. I got so tired of it, but I was determined to just sit right there, be in his face. He let me talk to him straightforward and he always wanted to know about the problem of evil and he would give some illustration and uh, this is this is a speculation that people put up against the knowledge of Christ and what about contradictions in the Bible what about other Christians I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there I've heard people say that y'all know my favorite rejoinder to that you go to Walmart don't you you think there ain't some hypocrites in there I mean what is that I don't go to church because they're hypocrites you don't go there to worship them anyway. You go there to worship the risen Christ, okay? And what about evolution explaining the origins of life? What about that's just your morality? Come on, I mean, was it Ben Shapiro was in uh, California, I think, last week uh, on one of the uh, UCLA Berkeley campus uh, t- talking about pro-life topics, and uh, uh, one of the girls, probably a freshman. She came up there and uh s- said, you know, how, how can you how can we say that um uh, the fetus has value as a human. She said because uh a human uh do- is not a sentient uh sentient being. It doesn't have self-awareness that it's there. Therefore it doesn't have human value. Ben Shapiro I don't even know who this guy is really but he just quirks back to her uh, young lady can I stab you in your sleep and that be morally acceptable And she said no well she's not a sentient being she's not aware that she's even in the world when she's asleep so uh, you know these arguments are um, you need to reason with people and reason with them about Scripture well Paul goes on to tell them that God is knowable this This God uh, that I'm preaching to you created everything. Now, I want you to notice something very, very important. Back uh, with the Thessalonians, um, they already had a background of religion, okay? They probably sang in Hebrew, give me that old time religion. They had a background, believed that God exists and knew that, so he just went straight to the Scripture to reason about Christ and the resurrection from the Old Testament prophets when he gets to Athens these people their religious background is all over the map so he starts with common ground first let's talk about the Creator God I want to demonstrate to you that he is the Creator and the one true God and and he does that that God is knowable uh, that he's eternal spirit he's not something you make or invent that he's the creator verse 24 of all things that he's the owner The Lord, uh, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, Psalm 24. That He's transcendent, that He's the sustainer and giver, uh, that He's the ruler of all things, verse 26. That He's imminent, verse 27 and 28. But He's also transcendent. Uh, He has spoken. Now, He gets down to reason from the, the Scripture and the truth of Scripture, verse 27 that they would seek God and perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of them. Verse 28, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 30, skip down to verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed by furnishing proof to all uh, men by raising Him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection from the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, We'll hear you again. Uh, but some believed. Uh, verse 34. God has spoken, dear friends, and He calls for repentance. Okay? So we can know who God is. We can know God. There's judgment coming. Uh, God raised Christ from the dead. He's calling for repentance. And God is personal as well. He gets there. So after reasoning with these folks, Paul brought it around to repentance and resurrection, the good news, the gospel, and in doing so Paul is using the gospel from uh, the Word of God. We're uh, close to running out of time. If you'd like to turn back to Luke 24, this is my last major passage. Actually, I have a couple more things to cover, Jeremy, so I'm going to... uh, just to go for it, if that's okay. Pastor Jeremy didn't want me to let y'all go early because then you get used to that and he'd have to cut, cut it off early every Sunday. And he didn't want to do that, so I, you know, I better go on longer. I won't go to one o'clock like I hear he does once in a while. though. <laughs> Luke 24, the two on the road to Emmaus, two disciples. Jesus has risen from the dead. He comes up and talks to them, and he says in uh, verse uh, 25, really interesting here, O oh fool, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, uh, said. Uh, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to themselves all the things concerning himself and how many scriptures? All the scriptures. And then over at verse 44, he said to them... Uh, all the things that are written about me in the Law, the Moses, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Now those are the three major writings of the Hebrew Old Testament. In the Tanakh, you have the Torah, that's the Law. You have the uh, Nevi'im, which are the Prophets, and you have the Ketuvim, which are the Writings. And the Psalms is part of the Writings. So in, in your entire Bible, Jesus says, I am in there, I am in there, I am in there. The Old Testament is about Christ. The law uh, gives the foundation for Christ. He's the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Paul explains that in Galatians uh, 3. And other uh, Bible writers, intertextual witnesses, uh, say the same thing. The seed there was, was the Messiah. He's the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. He's the atoning sacrifice of Leviticus 17. He's the smitten rock in the desert in Numbers chapter 20. Christ Himself interpreted Numbers 21 with this bronze serpent on the pole in John 3:16. Do you all know that verse? Well, the two verses just before it, He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on a pole, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that all who look and believe will live, just like those who looked at that serpent would believe and live. In the history books, you have the preparation for Christ. He's the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua. In Judges, he's the divine deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. I'll just skip down. In Ezra, he's the restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, he's the restorer of the nation. In Esther, he's the preserver of the nation. In the poetry bo- uh, books, uh, in Psalms, he's the praise of Israel. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he's the great teacher. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the fairest of 10,000. In the prophetic books, in Jeremiah, he's the maker of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, he's the glory of God. In Daniel, he's the coming Messiah, Daniel 9, 24 and following. In Hosea, he's the lover of the unfaithful. Aren't you glad? Y'all know the story of Hosea. In Joel, he's the hope of Israel. I'll skip on down. In Ze- Zechariah, he's the righteous branch. And then in the New Testament, he's the fullness of deity, the exalted head of the church, the Christian's joy, the blessed hope, the giver of wisdom, the rock, the precious promise, the life, the truth, the way, the truth, the life. He's all this. He's all this. S.M. Lockeridge, y'all ever heard his poem, That's My King? S.M. Lockeridge, African-American pastor from the 60s in Los Angeles. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? Do you know my king? He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally gra- uh, graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the lost, loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and He guides, He heals and He cleanses, He forgives sinners, He discharges debtors, He delivers the captives, He defends the feeble, He blesses the young, He serves the unfortunate, He regards the aged, He rewards the diligent, He beautifies the meek, that's my king. And he goes on to say, I'm trying to describe Him, but He's indescribable. His office is manifold, His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invisible. I'm sorry, invincible. Irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. They couldn't find any fault in him, uh, uh, but they couldn't kill him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's the king, Jesus, that the Bible uh, talks about, friends, from the Scripture, from the Scripture. We need to reason with our uh, friends uh, from the Scripture. And Jesus used the Bible, as you saw there. One more thing I'd like to share with you. Uh, We need to reason with people. We need to reason from the Scripture and use uh, the Bible. A A couple more things. My wife teaches literature, high school literature. She'd be proud of me using uh, something from ancient literature. Uh, She didn't know I was going to use this. But uh, there is an Anglo-Saxon piece of literature uh, from uh, Cademan uh, from eight nine hundreds AD, roughly. This is old literature, written in old, old English. They translated it into modern English. It's called the Dream of the Rude. Rude is an old English word for a cross, or the pole on which Jesus was crucified. This poem that they think Cademan wrote um, is from the perspective of the wooden cross that Jesus was hung on. I want you to listen to the perspective of the cross, the wooden cross. It happened long ago. I remember it still. I was hewn down at the Holtz Inn, stirred from my dreaming. Strong foes seized me there, worked me into spectacular form, ordered me to heave up their criminals. Those warriors bore me on their shoulders until they set me down upon a mountain. Enemies enough fastened me there. I saw then the Lord of mankind hasten with much courage, willing to mount up upon me. There I did not dare beyond the Lord's word to bow or burst apart. Then I saw the corners of the earth tremor. I could have... Fell upon all those foemen, nevertheless I stood fast. The young warrior stripped himself then, that was Almighty God. Strong and resolute, he climbed up onto the high gallows, mindful in the sight of many, when he wished to redeem mankind. I quaked when the warrior embraced me, yet I dared not bow down to the ground, fall down to earthly regions. But I must stand there firm. The rood was reared... I heaved the mighty King, the Lord of heaven. I did not dare to lean. They pierced me with dark nails. On me the wounds were easy to see, treacherous strokes gaping wide. I dared injure none of them. They shamed us both together. I was bespattered with blood, sprayed out from the man's side after he had sent forth his soul. Many vicious events have I experienced on that hill. I saw the God of hosts severely stretched out. Darkness had covered over with clouds. The corpse of the sovereign. Shadows oppressed the brightest splendor. Black under storm clouds. All of creation wept. Mourning the king's fall. Christ was upon the cross. However, people kept, came hurrying from afar there to that noble man. I saw it all. I was sorely pained with sorrows. Yet I bowed down to the hands of those men, humble-minded with much courage, They took up their almighty God, lifting Him up from that ponderous torment. Those war men left me to stand, dripping with blood. I was entirely wounded with arrows. They lay down the limb weary there, standing at the head of His corpse, beholding there the Lord of heaven. And He rested there a while, exhausted after the mighty tortures. And He goes on uh, to talk about His experience as the cross, as the cross. And friends, we have to tell our friends about Jesus. We have to give them the Word of God. Reason with them from Scripture. John MacArthur said these penetrating words 15 years ago when he came to our seminary at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary where I was a student. And he said this in defense of the sufficiency of of scripture and being sure you preach and reason with people from the Bible and he just said this simple remark whose words are pure not mine whose words are perfect not mine whose words can save not mine whose words can sanctify not mine whose words can give enduring hope not mine If you want to give your friends and family members enduring hope, you give them God's eternal Word. Chuck Colson says in his book, How Now Shall We Live? He says, Americans are groping for something that will restore the shattered bonds of family and community. Something that will make sense of life. People are at a time when they're sensing a deep longing for meaning and order. Christianity is more than a private belief. Is a comprehensive life system that answers all of humanity's age-old questions, end quote. And friends, I want to tell you that people around you are empty and need to be filled. They are sinful and need to be forgiven. They are sinners and need to be made righteous. They are searching and need answers. They are lost and need to be found. They are blind and need to see. They are hungry and need to be fed. They are skeptical and need to be enlightened. And Christians using the Word of God and reasoning with people from the Scriptures can alleviate all of those pressure points. But you can't give them what you don't have. And you can't give them the truth you don't possess. You can't defend the faith if you don't know the content of the faith. Nor can you defend it if you don't know how. And you can't enlighten them if you yourself live in the dark instead of walking in the light of the truth of God's written Word so defend and be on the offensive as well here are our lessons have a clean heart be willing be working be prepared know god know yourself know your culture friends our culture is pluralistic it is immoral it is hurting and you need to stand in the gap to argue with them reason with them about the scripture and again i would like to cite for you once again the prophet isaiah to encourage you as you go forth to give people God's Word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. It alone gives enduring hope. Know the Word of God and give out the Word of God. Okay, be blessed. Thank you, Pastor.
0: My prayer is as we go from here today that uh, the seed that's been planted will find fertile ground. And so I trust that uh, you will meditate on this throughout the week. Uh, Think through this. And maybe tomorrow at that water cooler, maybe you have that conversation. Reason with them. Use the scriptures. Reason from the Bible. Show them Jesus that's our mission that's what we're called to do I couldn't help but as Mel was teaching think about the book we're in we're in the book of Hebrews I mean you talk about a whole book of apologetics the writer where we are at up to this point to chapter 10 has, has been a great case of reasoning from the Old Testament scriptures to point them to Jesus Christ that's our mission let's do what god has called us to do father thank you for your word today thank you for the message and reminder and may we take your word and hide it in our heart that we would not sin against you lord may we draw near to you may we recognize the importance of knowing you and knowing your word And Lord, help us to not just be hearers. Let us be doers. Thank you for the precious word of God. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross for our sin. And thank you that that's not the end of the story. Christ is risen. We serve a risen Savior, and He is coming back, and today could be that day. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repent and believe. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Surrender your heart and life today. Allow Him to be your Lord and Savior. Know Him. He came to seek you. To save the lost. I trust you know Him today. If you need to know more about that, myself, Brother Mel, Pastor Dean, there's many here who can... Pastor Nate that can share the word of God so you can have settled today your eternal salvation. Don't leave today till you have that secure. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Please stand.